This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. This is Manny Cotto, executive producer of Star Trek Enterprise. You're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5. I'm your host for today, Brandon Shea-Matella. And it's kind of weird. It's it's creepy and it's quiet around here because Floyd's been sent off on a secret government mission. Uh, it's actually Section 31, but don't tell anybody. And uh, it's it's neat that the, uh, the admirals have sent him off, but I get the ship by myself. And, you know, with everybody else being in cryogenic sleep or whatnot, I think I... I might just take some advice from Dr. Phlox and, and walk around the ship naked, you know. It's kind of it's kind of warm in here. It's a nice temperature. And, oh, is that Paul over there? I better go put my clothes on. Uh, but joining me today for the episode is John Tenuto. And John Tenuto is an amazing guest and wonderful friend of the network. And he's a sociology professor in Chicago. And we've brought him on because we're going to be discussing the Season 2 episode of Enterprise, Dawn. And we're going to be comparing it with Enemy Mine, which is a wonderful classic science fiction film from the 80s directed by Wolfgang Peterson. So I really hope you enjoy tonight's episode. And I really hope that you uh, stick around and listen, even though our captain is away. But uh, while the cat's away, the mice will play, right? So why don't we bring John in? So welcome, John. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm really, really glad that we could have you on today so that we could we could talk about uh, Star Trek Enterprise and the comparison between uh, the film Enemy Mine and Dawn. Oh, uh, oh, we're talking about Dawn? Yeah, Dawn. Oh, I, I thought we were talking about Khan, because everybody just always <laughs> wants me to only talk about Khan. Dawn, yeah. There's an episode in Enterprise Season 2 called Dawn. I know, it kind of sounds like Khan, I guess. I understand the confusion. Because uh, oh. I did a whole thing on how Enemy Mine, how Davich was like Kirk and Jerry was like Khan, and I guess I, I'll, 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 I'll be able to wing it, though. Okay, if you want, we can pause and you can go watch the show, and we'll be right back, okay? so. Oh, okay, sounds great. Let me go do that. And welcome back. Right on. Now we're ready to go and we're ready to discuss Dawn and Enemy Mine. Wait, I thought we were doing Dawn and Khan. I'm really confused. Oh, no. Oh, we're no. doing Dawn and Enemy Mine. I got I, it now. I know everybody always wants you to talk about Khan, but believe it or not, John, this time I don't want you to talk about Khan. 
Oh, I'm happy actually. No, I knew we knew it. I knew it coming in. <laughs> That's, That's great. Funny. Yeah, I thought it'd be fun because you're you're kind of a you're a film buff. You like to go see movies and stuff. So as as soon as I came up with this idea, I thought we'd have you on, and uh, I thought it would be right up your alley because you had as your profile picture on Facebook for quite a while an autograph by Scott Bakula. Oh yeah, I mean you know we're we're. Um... My family and I, my wife, my son, and I—we're all—we're all franchise fans. I call us. I, you know, I, I there's, I love all the versions of Star Trek. Um, you know, we've seen every single one of them. You know, it's great about Star Trek is whatever mood you're in, right? Or, uh, you know, what uh, maybe what's even going on in the real world that might spur you to maybe watch those episodes or put those episodes on for background or revisit, you know, this movie or that movie. So <clears throat> I've never met a Star Trek I didn't like. And uh, Enterprise is uh, just uh, always, I think, uh, always a great show and uh, loved it when it was on. And I think it, it in, in a way, almost like Deep Space Nine, as history kind of changes and times change, it almost becomes better, although I liked it when it was first on too, but it, it's even better now. And it, one of the great things about Enterprise, I thought, is it, it really sort of predicted the whole, you know, uh, uh, sort of Netflix, you know, idea of watching shows and watching them back to back and, um, and, you know, watching them all right in a row because of the way, especially the last two seasons, the way it was designed. And, mm-hmm. uh, great show. Great show. So do you have a favorite episode for Enterprise or a favorite character, favorite season? Um, well, I, you know, I really thought they, they, you know, like most of the Star Trek shows, they kind of hit their stride, you know, third and fourth season. Um, and I really enjoyed the fourth season a great deal. I, I thought the third season also was kind of a bold and, and interesting story device. And I love the ending, the idea, the ending of, you know, we, you, you, you win by, by making allegiances and friendships, you know. Mm-hmm. And then not not every you know all this so you, you come in with sort of preconceptions about who your enemy is, and then you learn more details about them, and that that's what kind of helps you win. Um, you know, my, I guess my favorite uh, episode is probably Cogenitor, just be, as a sociologist, and you know, in terms of the themes that are in there about um, you know gender and how we we think about those kinds of things. But I you know I love any episode with Shran is great. And, um, <laughs> I, I love the I I love the relationship between Tran and, and Archer. I thought that that was a really nice anything that kind of counterpoints uh, to Paul and Archer, and you know, and, and and sort of the themes of understanding and friendship. Uh, I always like those kinds of things. But uh, I love the arc with uh, Brent Spiner. I mean, there's just so many great episodes to that. I think the show. Um, is definitely worth visiting if someone's never never visited as a whole Star Trek show. Ninety eight episodes waiting to be enjoyed. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and I, I'm glad that I've re- rediscovered it this year with our rewatch that we did for the network. And you know, I found a lot of really cool hidden gems in there. I'm like my favorite episode is Future Tense, which is where they find that kind of human body in that ship that's bigger on the inside, and then there's Tholians and stuff in it. Um, but I also really like uh, Silent Enemy uh, when they come across that alien ship that won't talk to them, and they're like these really strange-looking aliens, but that's a season one episode. And uh, Observer Effect, when we first meet the um, the aliens from Errand of Mercy, um, which I can't remember the name. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Help me out here. The, Arga- the Arganians. There we go, the Arganians, yeah. That's such a neat episode, and it's, it's such a creepy episode, and I don't know, it's it's... 
on one hand, I get frustrated because there's a lot of fan service in that last season, but it's just, it's so darn good. And I, I think that the fourth season is my favorite, but uh, I think that's one of the gems in the fourth season for sure. Well, they were really ambitious, I thought, in the fourth season with episodes that, you know, they 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 had to fix a few things, uh, continuity problems or just, you know, things I think that they, when they started out, they they didn't play as as good as they had wanted to and sort of the antagonism between the Vulcans and the humans uh, never played I think the way that they had hoped it would play and they kind of needed to fix that and why were the Vulcans kind of different in a way um, on Enterprise when it first started out and how how did they become the Vulcans that we we know as a a culture and um, you know I think that that fourth season really did kind of a lot of fixing and and tweaking um, some of the problems, although, you know, again, I, don't, I never thought the problems were, I, I saw it as a, you know, it's, it's supposed to be a little different because it's, it's taking place earlier. So not everybody, not everybody and everything should be consistent with what we know. But I thought they handled that really well. And uh, yeah, Silent Enemy is a great episode. It's one of those uh, first season episodes where they kind of took the format and, and, and explored, well, what does that mean? Like the episode where, where, where uh, Trip becomes pregnant, right? And, and one of the great things about that episode is he's, he's, he's stuck in that chamber, right? So you can't, you can't always go from one ship to another ship and just step over a, a threshold that there, there might be differences in gravity or environment. And, um, you know, those kinds of episodes where what if you come across an enemy who just doesn't talk to you? And what do you do with it? what do you do in that situation? And uh, I thought Enterprise was great at great at exploring those kinds of issues. Yeah, I think Unexpected is a really underrated episode, and people just they write it off as the episode where Trip gets pregnant. But there's some really cool concepts in that episode, and you bringing up that uh, uh, that that cavity that he's got to sit in for a while to get used to the, you know, depressurization basically, right, of something that they would do like in a deep sea mining you know, something like that. Like, I don't know. I think that's an underrated episode myself. And I like that one. Yeah. There's such, I mean, there's so many great ones. I like the two where they have the, you know, the, the, the next generation, you know, in the alternate universe, what, what would happen if they, if they had failed in their mission to save earth from the Zindi and just so many great episodes in, 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 uh, in, in those arcs and, uh, and, and in that fourth season, third season of fourth season. Mm-hmm. Well, tonight, though, we've got kind of a special little comparison. We've never done anything like this on Warp 5 before. And we're going to actually kind of compare and contrast uh, an episode from Season 2 called Dawn. And we're going to compare it to a movie from, uh, you know, I didn't write the year. I think it was 1984. Uh, Yeah, 1985. You got it. 1985, yeah. And it's called Enemy Mine. And they're both both very similar. There's a lot of similarities between them. So uh, as a quick summary here, in the episode Dawn... So Trip is doing some tests on a shuttlecraft, and he gets fired upon by another alien ship, and they both crash land on a planet. And while they're on this planet, um, they kind of start butting heads when they meet each other. Uh, the one alien, uh, the Ark—I got this written down here—the uh, Arconian. Arconian. Here we go. I got I got too many windows open. There's a, there's too many, there's a lot of R's in this A R's in this in this episode. The Arconian uh, and puts him in you know ties him up and keeps him prisoner and then they they have this kind of power struggle and Trip decides to become friends with him. They got to work together. They decide they got to work together if they're going to survive. Um, but little do they know that on this this asteroid or planet that they're on, uh, 
once they get the sun rising, it's going to get really, really hot upwards of, uh, what was it, 120 Fahrenheit, 140 Fahrenheit, something like that, really, really high temperature. So time is against them. And Archer, in the meantime, has to work with another Arconian captain in order to save the crew. And in the episode, in the movie Enemy Mine, um, Earth is at war with this alien race called the Drac, and they... Arch. They're under attack at the space station. Um, one of the pilots, Davich, uh, goes after a ship, fights them. They end up crashing landing on a planet. The planet is very inhospitable. There's lots of meteor storms. And the two of them, they decide that they've got to work together in order to become, uh, in order to survive. And these Drac, one really cool thing about them is they're a genderless species and they don't have any control over it, but at some point in their life, they become pregnant and give birth to another. And after that happens, the the Drac character, who's called Jerry, dies, and the human Davich has to take care of the the baby Drac. And uh, and then there's some more things that happen uh, with these humans that are putting these Drac into slavery for mining. Um, so a few little similarities there. So uh, how had you seen Enemy Mine before? You did it for this podcast. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I that's one of the, the films. I, I saw it in a theater, actually, back in 1985 um, when I was in high school. And uh, it was sort of one of my 80s, uh, um, you know, favorite sci-fi uh, films along with, uh, uh, you know, things like The Last Starfighter and that sort of era of uh, um, in the mid-80s when they were kind of churning out uh, – <laughs> science fiction films left and right uh once star wars had kind of gone through and, and return of the jedi had come out and you got a sort of spate of these science fiction films in the in the mid and mid and late 1980s and uh i thought enemy mine was one of the best of them yeah me too i remember the first time that i saw this i was pretty young like i was born in 1981 and this was on tv and i actually caught it when it was on and you know john man i miss those days sometimes that's how i discovered the abyss as well was just surfing channels and you miss the first little bit of the movie and you jump into it and you're like something captivates you and you're like what is this and in this day and age you know with netflix and stuff it's like you don't want to miss anything so if something would have been on tv i wouldn't jump into it like i would have when i was a kid you know yeah absolutely so enemy mine i jumped into i don't know it must have been about half an hour into the movie and i was just captivated that these this human and this alien they couldn't communicate they couldn't talk to each other uh but you know with some grunts and stuff they could kind of make out what they were trying to say to each other and i remember just being so awestruck watching this movie and this this you know this man at the time i didn't understand what you know genderless meant i didn't understand that but i'm like so here's this man this louis gossett jr uh given birth to this baby and it was just this alien concept and it just fueled my these images in my mind and it just i don't know it was just such a creative movie and i was completely captivated from the first time i watched it and i've seen it about a half a dozen times over my life and it's one that i really 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 love and i haven't gone back to in quite a long time uh so i'm very very grateful that i got to for this podcast you know, it's a, it was a, it was a troubled production. I know they had a different director initially. I mean, the, the film we all saw was directed by Wolfgang Peterson, but um, uh, the the initial uh, uh, production kind of where there were creative differences and there were problems. They had to scrap it. The film was supposed to be budgeted in the like the twelve, thirteen, fourteen million dollar range. I think it eventually cost them forty million dollars and. Um, 
they had a lot of trouble marketing it. I know they didn't have a, a, a handle kind of on how to market a film like this. Um, you know, now you could just say it's Darmok or something, you know, people might, people might know what you're talking about, but, um, you know, it's, it's a really, it's a classic science fiction story. You know, when I, when I first saw it, it's funny now when you, when, when you watch an episode like Dawn, you think, my gosh, you know, that was obviously inspired by, by, uh, enemy mine. I mean, even the look of the alien is very similar in the way they, they sit exactly the same, you know, uh, they don't really sit, they crouch, you know, when they, when they're, when down. There's just a lot of um, callbacks to, to Enemy Mine, and uh, but when I watched Enemy Mine, what I what I thought of was um, Arena. Initially, I thought, well, gosh, this is a lot like um, my, you know, I like Star Trek at that time, and it was a lot like the episode Arena. Uh, not knowing then that Arena itself was based on a short story from the 1940s, from 1949, by a man named Frederick Brown, who's credited in. Um, as coming up with the story for arena, although really Gene Kuhn came up with arena on his own. And then they realized that there was the similarity and they contacted, you know, I think, I think they contacted Frederick Brown, if not him, his estate. And they uh, asked for permission to use the story and if they gave him credit and they paid him. Uh, and uh, so that they, you know, it's sort of, but it all has this roots in this, this classic 1949 Hugo winning story called arena. Um, and, and, and the sort of idea of two, two people from two different cultures stuck on, uh, you know, sort of stuck together. Right. And so that, that's, I think the science fiction origins, but you can go back all the way to Gilgamesh where you have two enemies who are kind of stuck together and then they, they wind up, um, you know, becoming friends with one another over time. So, I mean, it goes back to the beginnings of literature. There hasn't been any uh, original stories in about, you know, 10,000 years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, so I think, uh, but I thought was was great about uh, Enemy Mine and is still great today um, is, and one of the differences between Star Trek, right? So in, in Enemy Mine, uh, uh, Willis, Davidge, da- Davidge, I never know how to say that, Davidge, um, he's uh, the, the character played by Dennis Quaid. He, he's, a, he's a racist when, when we start off mm-hmm. the episode. He, he hates these people. Um, and, uh, and, and you get a, although maybe a little softer in the hatred, um, you get a sense that, uh, Jeriba or Jerry, who he winds up calling him Jerry, you know, played by Lewis Gossett Jr. That he, he also has strong feelings against humans. Mm-hmm. And, um, but certainly the human character is very, very flawed and very racist. He celebrates as a very early moment in the film when he's kind of scouting around where Jerry is, you know, bathing and uh, he's going to kill him, you know, and he, he, he lights the, you know, the, he puts this solvent in the water and he lights the water on fire and he's going to kill uh, this alien. And he's, you know, celebrating, he's laughing as, as you know, in essence, a, a, a sentient uh, creature is burning to death. And um, it turns out he, he's able to survive that, obviously. But that, that's a very interesting, you know, that, that would never occur in the Star Trek world, right? So when Dawn begins, the aggressor, in a way is, is really, uh, Zohan is, uh, is the, uh, uh Zokan, I should say Zohan, <laughs> don't mess with the Zohan. Uh, Zokan is the, is the, um, is really the aggressor when, when, it, when it begins. And so, cause Star Trek, of course, you, the humans are more, um, evolved and, and have a different sensibility about themselves. So uh, that, that one of the things that makes enemy mind different, I think, and also, 
than Star Trek, but also uh, unique in that there's a there's a much larger arc, right? For for that character, for for him to wind up where he ends in the movie, uh, where not only does he respect uh, the Drac culture, he's a, becomes a part of it, and mm-hmm. he 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 you know in essence becomes the uncle adopted father to Zamis. Um, who for fun, for trivia fun, is played by Bumper Robinson in Enemy Mine. And if you're a Deep Space Nine fan, uh, Bumper played the Jem Hadar who Quark kind of finds as a baby and Odo oh, raises. In the Abandoned. So, uh, in the Abandoned. So sort of a similar, I mean, kind of a similar episode in a way where the we get to know the enemy in a, in a little more human way through a child, right? And it's kind of interesting that it's the same actor. Um, playing those roles but um but but the way that davich is towards zamis he's he's you know very much he loves him he, he thinks of him as a son and um and he and he appreciates the culture that jerry comes from and and you get that sense that the other pilots come around too and although none of them i think i have a strong feeling a strong a feeling against the drac as as uh, davich does but he but he um he has a, a, a bigger arc swing, you know, from, from hater to, to appreciator. And, you know, you, you can't have that in Star Trek in a way because you know that from the moment that they crashed, that, that trip would have probably been cooperative to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so it's a little, it plays differently in Star Trek and it, and it maybe isn't as effective in Star Trek because of that, because in enemy mind in that world, human beings can be flawed and mm-hmm. then they can, they can kind of grow in a way. Yeah, there. But they do got to kind of keep it into a Star Trek format, right? So there are there are the similarities, but they do they do twist it into a Star Trek mold. And it's interesting to try and figure out. So where does the influence begin, and where does the direction begin? You know, like where does the influence end? Because so this episode was written by John Shiban, and it was directed by Roxanne Dawson, who played uh, Belanda Torres on Voyager. And like you mentioned earlier, that these Arconians and these Drax, they almost sit the same as well. So obviously John Scheiben was influenced by the film, but clearly that must have transferred over to Roxanne Dawson as well, or they must have told her, look, this is what we want to do. Watch this movie. We're getting this feel like this is the feel that we want for this episode. What do you think? Oh yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, either it's a, it's an accidental apothesis, you know, it just, it just all, it just happens. And that's, that's possible. Right. I mean, I guess if you're looking at a lizard guy, you might think he's not going to sit like we sit. And so he might sit kind of like lizards kind of sit, you know, on their hind legs a little bit. I mean, so it's possible, but um, boy, there's an, there's an awful lot of similarities. Again, enough differences that I've never, I never thought of Dawn as a ripoff. Um, but it's, it, it's certainly, I mean, in, in a way, if you're, if we're going to say it's, it, it really isn't in, in a Star Trek tradition. I mean, if, if you look at all the other, Shows like, uh, you know, of course, the original show had Arena. Um, TNG has Darmok and the Enemy, which are basically the same stories as Enemy Mine and Dawn, where you're stuck on a planet with an alien. You know, and Darmok looks like kind of, he's a kind of a lizard looking guy, in a way, a turtle looking guy, you know. Um, and in the Enemy, you've got uh, Geordi with a, with, a, with a Romulan. And Voyager has the episode Gravity. Uh, where they come, where they're stuck on a planet, a desert planet, and they come to know an alien. And uh, DS9 has, in fact, DS9 in a way, I was thinking about it when I was watching um, Dawn uh, the last time, that there, there's actually a lot of similarities between that episode of Enterprise and the episode The Ascent, 
in Deep Space Nine where you have Odo and and Quark stuck on a planet together and they in essence uh, form a little bit more appreciation for each other and in the, their mission is to get this uh, transmitter device to the top of a mountain. I mean, that's exactly what happens in Dawn. And and they can't, because they can't get a signal out from low on the planet, they have to be higher up to get the signal out. So, I mean, I think, you know, like we were saying, there aren't any original stories to begin with, but there there are a lot of things that are the same, you know, I think, um, between the two, the, the in, in both Dawn and, and, and in Enemy Mine, you have the environment threatens them. Mm-hmm. In, in in one movie, it's the acid rain, and it's kind of those uh, the sarlacc creature, kind of sand crab <laughs> sarlacc thing. That's exactly what my wife said when we we're watching. She's like, "There was something on that in Return of the Jedi, wasn't there?" <laughs> I was waiting for Boba Fett to shoot up. Um, and uh, and you know, in 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 Dawn, it's it's more the oppressive heat um, that they have to deal with, and in both of them. Uh, they, the alien kind of learns a human swear word first, you know, in both scripts. Yeah. So in, in enterprise, it's, you know, enterprise, it's damn it. Cause it's TV. And then the movie, you know, it's the, it's the, uh, SH word, you know, in the movie. Um, and, uh, you know, they both, they both have the plot line where at one point the human has the upper hand and at another point, the alien has an upper hand and, and you know they they both have the campfire scenes where they kind of bond around uh the campfire um you know they both have a scene with food right so so you've got david has to eat that kind of worm looking gross thing and uh you know but it's reversed in enterprise where yep. Where where uh, Zokan eats the kind of gun, it looks like a granola bar or something that he has, and uh, that uh, trip has. So, you know, I, there there's an awful lot of beats that are the same. That may be either a function of that's the that's the story. Um, when you create that scenario, that the, the story almost kind of writes itself in a way. Um, but I, I don't know. When you look at the design of the makeup. They both have pointy heads. They both look, I mean, the, the eye underneath the eye is very, very similar to one another. Um, they both have a ridge at the top of their heads, although the ridge is a little different. It's, it's awfully similar. And I mean, they could have gone in a million different directions. Uh, now maybe because of the heat and he may need to be reptilian. And mm-hmm. So he has a reaction to the heat, but um, that, there's definitely, I think, a cross pollination there. If either intention, I think, I think intentionally, my opinion would be it's intentional because there's too many of them, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's sort of meant as an homage. And that, that's not the first time, right? Many episodes of Star Trek are let's do, you know, um, where you know, let's do Die Hard on the Enterprise, where Picard has to go back and get his saddle. And there's terrorists on board the ship and he has a communicator and he talks to the, you know, I mean, that's diehard, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. all that that is. And um, so, I mean, I think that that's, that's not uh, unheard of in, in tele- episodic television to take a movie and, I mean, Battlestar Galactica, the original Galactica, every episode was just like Guns of Navarone. You know, <laughs> it's such a movie that into, you know, into a television episode. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, I think there's an awful lot there that's the same, but then there's things that are different too. And the things that are different 
almost like they make you think about the things that are the same. Like you say that, you know, on the asteroid planet from Dawn, it's oppressive heat. Well, for, you know, a fair chunk of the movie in Enemy Mine, they've got this very cold winter that they've got to put up with, right? So it's it's the opposite, right? The opposite temperature aspect. And then, yeah, like you said, where it's the food, you know, in the movie, it's the human that can't eat the the drac food. And in the in the episode, it's, uh, it's the Arcon- Arcanian that can't eat the human food, right? So it's the opposite. But also, Trip tries to drink that liquid, that very thick, oily liquid or whatever that's in that that container that he's got, right? But they've got that as well. Um, now, a listener, Tim Hand, actually mentioned this comment. He said, this was essentially a remake of the 1968 World War II movie, Hell in the Pacific, starring Lee Marvin and Toshiro Mifune. Now, have you seen this movie? Do you know this movie? Yes, I'm, I'm familiar with that film, and now that and now that he says that, that makes me think of an episode of The Twilight Zone called A Quality of Mercy, which actually has Leonard Nimoy in it, mm-hmm. where Dean Stockwell wakes up as a Japanese person. Again, a little bit different, but the idea of there's an enemy, and in wartime, you're kind of stuck with them. And uh, um, Toshiro Mifune, by the way, just another you, you, ridiculous trivia point, um, was cast as the Klingon in um, the aborted uh, 1975 Star Trek film, Planet of the Titans. That's who they wanted to play. Uh, The Klingon, they had written the script with him in mind. Wow. And uh, that would have been something else because he's a marvelous actor. But yes, that's a wonderful point. Um, uh, Another great example of people kind of stuck stuck in very similar situations. Yeah, I actually watched it in preparation for this. I'd never seen it before. I love Toshiro Mifune. I mean, like, you know, Redbeard and uh, Seven Samurai and Hidden Fortress, like all these wonderful, wonderful samurai flicks. But I'd never seen this one. And there are quite a few similarities. It is different. Um, but, you know, just a quick summary of that one as well. So there's a, an American World War II soldier and a Japanese soldier stuck on an island. And it's it's very similar to both of these movies in that at the beginning, the ja- the Japanese has the upper hand in that he's kind of got a base set up. He's got water collected. You know, he's got a, sh- a little bit better shelter and whatnot. And that's kind of the same situation that's in Dawn and Enemy Mine as well. And then a couple of times in the movie, they flip and one becomes the prisoner of the other until they decide that they have to work together to build a raft to get off of the island. Um, and then it has this, uh, this bizarre ending that I don't even want to go to, but I was just like, what happened? Like, did the movie's done? What? What just happened? Like, it was, was really, really bizarre ending to this movie. But uh, it's there are quite a few similarities. At first, I'm like, yeah, I guess it kind of is, but no, it's it's actually quite quite similar as well. Yeah, and then they have. I mean, I remember the line. Uh, there's kind of a famous line in the movie uh, with uh, that Lee Marvin. I think yeah, it's Lee Marvin's character who's who says uh, something along the lines of like, I, I like for a moment there, I thought you were Japanese or something like that. And, and um, you know, again, I just that kind of that idea of, of, you know, in sociology, there's, there's actually a term Gordon Alport uh, is the, the social scientist who came up with it. It's called the contact hypothesis. And uh, one of the things we discuss a lot in, in my sociology classes is because, you know, I, I don't like to talk about things without talking about solutions necessarily. And we kind of know what the solutions are to, to, to a lot of the problems that we have as a, as a society. And um, one of the problems, of course, is, you know, 
people not necessarily liking each other. And there's not much you can do about that on an individual basis. I mean, people have a right not to like each other. Um, you don't have to like other people. Um, but there is something called the contact hypothesis, which is this idea that when peers come together um, in similar situations, and they're from different backgrounds, you know, whatever it happens to be. It could be racial, religious, ethnic, age, whatever. Uh, but they're peers, you know, so they're in a similar situation. Uh, the more contact that people have with more people that are different than themselves, the less prejudice they are, the less likely they are to judge people based on stereotypes and see them as individuals. And that, that, that emerged out of studies that were done that the, the, the longer people were educated, the less prejudice they were. And we thought maybe it had to do with education. It turns out it has nothing to do with what teachers do, uh, which is, basically defines what education is, to tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> uh, the, what really it is, is it's the peers interacting with each other. It's students from different backgrounds interacting with other students as equals and having to kind of be, they're kind of in the same boat. And then that, that creates, that same sameness creates an ability for people to get to know one another as individuals. It doesn't work if I'm your boss or you're my boss and we're different, or it doesn't work if there's a power differential between people necessarily, but it does work if people are uh, the same as one another. And there's, there's people who believe that that can also maybe even extend to things like media so that people can be shaped by media. That wasn't Gordon Alport's original intention, but, you know, maybe shows like, um, you know, the Cosby show or, or Welcome Back Cotter, or if we kind of go back to the 70s shows, when we began to have shows that had more diversity in them, by having, by, by having these kinds of positive presentations, um, it might influence people in how they see other people. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think all of these films, whether it's the Lee Marvin movie, uh, um, Hell in the Pacific, or if it's uh, uh, Enemy Mine, or whatever, really it's the same theme, right? You, get, you got these two people, they're thrust together into the same exact situation. Nobody, in essence, has the upper hand because they're both in danger, um, whether it's because of the environment or, or um, the conditions that they're in or, or whatever, and, and they have to work together. And so I think uh, I always like these kinds of films as a sociologist, these kinds of stories, because they, they kind of support that. And they, they become a nice example. I could show students a few moments of Enemy Mine or Dawn and, uh, and say, you know, this is what the contact hypothesis is all about. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I like it. I'm pretty happy with, the, with this rewatch. It's been so long since I've seen Enemy Mine. Um, now, b just before we finish up here, uh, I want to read uh, a write-up that one of our listeners wrote on the Babel Conference. And it's a little bit long, but I really want to read it because he took the time to to write up such a wonderful summary of what he felt as well. So I really wanted to take the time and read his, his, uh, his write-up here. So this is from Justin Oser. And he says, I hadn't seen Enemy Mine for a long time, so a lot of it felt new to me. I had forgotten just how much bad blood there was between humans and Drax in the movie. Davich basically makes it his mission in the first part of the movie to do whatever he can to kill the alien, Jeriba, as quickly as he can. I was also struck by a setting where humanity had been united toward the end of the 21st century, but is portrayed as a bloodthirsty, hateful exploiters, quite different from what we had seen in Star Trek, except for the mirror universe. 
Despite some things I found distracting in enemy minds, such as the music and some serious overacting, Louis Gossett Jr. gives an exceptional performance as the Jeriba, and you grow to love and understand his character as much as Davich does. The essential message that getting to know someone on a personal level and through common challenges leads to understanding, friendship, and the possibility of a better future comes through as clearly now as it did when I first saw Enemy Mine as a kid in the 80s. Over the course of the movie, Davidge's attitudes completely change and he becomes something he never would have thought possible, a member of the greater Drac family. I love the message of Enemy Mine because it has guided my life and is now more important than ever. Don has a lot of similarities to Enemy Mine. There's a confrontation that causes two ships to crash on a planetary body, the alien looks reptilian, and there's more confrontation and suspicion on the surface, but eventually they learn to communicate and work together. However, telling this story within the Star Trek universe and in a 42-minute episode instead of a movie means that there are a lot of differences as well. In Dawn, it's an alien species that is the aggressor and fires on a ship, but not humans. The confrontation is not as severe as nobody really wants to kill each other, but they are instead just looking to survive and get off the surface. Because of the time limitation, we only get to learn a little about Zokan's species. In contrast, we learned a wealth of information about Drax and Enemy Mine, including their religious beliefs and how they procreate. That said, I like how Don shows a one-on-one first contact situation, and you see Trip trying to do everything he can to make sure they both get off the planet alive. He's committed to being a good representative of Earth, even when the situation becomes very difficult. Also, Zokan could easily have killed Trip or made him suffer more, but that doesn't happen, and Zokan is even able to heal Trip when he cuts himself. It's a little hard to say how this experience may change them. Trip seems to be the same person he was at the beginning, and we can't tell how big a deal it may have been for Zokan to express gratitude to Trip's that sh- Trip's shuttle pod wasn't destroyed. The real impact seems to be on T'Pol when she acknowledges that Archer has done a better job with diplomatic relations with the Arconians in one day than Vulcans have done in 100 years. Her admiration for what Archer can do and her loyalty to him and to Enterprise continues its gradual strengthening. It also provides a further glimpse into Archer the Diplomat, who will eventually be instrumental in the formation of the Coalition and the Federation. Overall, Enemy Mine has a rich and important message, but it does suffer from some overacting and parts that seem very dated. Dawn has a more limited message that serves the arc of the show more than the two main characters in the episode, but I enjoyed Dawn a lot, and it's one of my favorite episodes from Enterprise. Well, thank you so much for writing that, Justin. I really appreciate you taking the time, and I'm glad that you decided to play along at home and watch the episode and the movie together. Yeah, that was great, Justin. Uh, uh, There's so much in there that's, I think, really important, uh, what you said. One of of the ideas is that limitation, right, what uh, Michael Piller used to call Roddenberry's box. And, and and that's the box that Star Trek has always had to play in um, and make Star Trek special. And that's the idea that human beings don't um, bring prejudice with them. Uh, they don't bring hatred with them. And so it, it forces the episode to, to be a certain way uh, that uh, Enemy Mine was a little freer. Um, in in what it was able to present, I also thought it was important. Justin mentioned how great um, Louis Gossett Jr. was uh, in, in in Enemy Mine, and he really was. I mean, that was a fantastic portrayal. I thought um, he really created a convincing alien. I thought, you know, I mean, I mean, the special effects are still amazing. They were done by ILM, and they they're incredible. The matte paintings and the sort of the old fashioned uh, special effects sometimes don't hold up as well, but uh, these 
they really hold up well in the art direction and that the movie is, is beautiful. I thought um, Zokan, who's played by Greg Henry, um, who played uh, Gallatin, uh, the good Sona uh, in, uh, in Insurrection. <laughs> Uh, he's he's really great under makeup, uh, and uh, and he does a great job in that episode uh, as well. But I think the idea of of wanting to know more about the culture that Justin mentions is really important because um, you know again Enterprise only has the forty two minutes, but I always felt that when that episode ended that I wanted to know like I I, I kind of wanted Trip to turn around at the end and say well I'll see you for dinner or something like like some idea that. It's more than just like I'm going to get you some food, you know, um, and and that there was a little bit more of a, an effect on, you know, maybe maybe on both of them in the sense that, uh, you know, Trip doesn't necessarily have to go from uh, from a hater to a to a appreciator like uh, like Davich does, but he he does kind of I think in his, in his his story arc in a way in that episode is he's kind of out on his own on a mission, and is he is he ever going to be let you know, it, it, can he can he be successful on his own on a mission? And he kind of he he reflects on that in the episode a little bit, like they're never going to let me do this again. Um, but he is very successful. I mean, he makes first contact, and he he is as successful as Archer is, and uh, and maybe more so because he has a tougher uh, 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 you know both environment to deal with and situation to deal with. So you know, but it's never made as clear. I mean, you really have to. To, to analyze and think about the episode that way. So um, uh, that was great. Both of both of uh, both of the comments today gave me some new things to think about. So I appreciate that. Thank you, John. I just want to thank you very much for joining us today to discuss this. Uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and I'm really glad we got to vi- revisit these. Uh, are there any final thoughts that you have uh, on the film or the or the episode? Uh, just you know to encourage anybody who hasn't. Um, has either never seen them or to to uh, to um, who haven't seen them in a while to to watch them. Maybe even you know you could do an enterprise um, connection to the to the previous Star Trek uh, that's sort of uh, alien and human having to get along, and maybe do like a a little mini uh, uh, viewing party of you know Darmok and the enemy and, and uh, the ascent and Dawn, uh, and then along with. Um, Enemy Mind, but I really do. I, I I hope Enemy Mind continues to find an audience, and I know there's a, a cult following for it, and I I hope it grows because I, I you know it it really deserves I think to to be revisited. So I appreciate you you doing that. And then the only thing that I have to say is I watched this movie at about aged eight. I think I was when I first saw it, and you know there's a couple scenes that frightened me when I was a little kid and stuff, but I think, I think that it's one of those movies that, you know, the special effects are done just right. You know, it's not a gory film, you know, when the, when the babies, if you haven't seen it yet, when the baby's born, it's not like a, there's blood everywhere. It's, it was made in a different time. And like you said, the special effects are really well done, but the message of the movie is very good. And I, I, I personally would recommend it for around that age, eight to 10, um, as just a captivating, imagination growing film so that would be my final thing on enemy mine and uh yeah that's wonderful well uh where can people find you john uh well you know i'm on facebook so if anybody wants to send me a friend request that'd be great or you they can always email email me at the college of lake county uh they can either visit the college of lake county website or uh just email me it's just jay tenuto the first initial and last name and it's at 
CLC Illinois and Illinois spelled out at edu. So I'd love to hear from uh, fellow fans and and uh, talk Star Trek. That'd be great. And we're going to have you on again in a couple of episodes. Uh, we're going to talk about some Enterprise toys. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. We're um, we have a talk uh, coming up in uh, in March uh, at uh, the Eisenhower uh, Library in uh, in uh, Illinois, and it's. Um, it's uh, going to be about uh, the the characters of uh, the original show and how uh, of some of the like great cast characters uh, and how they originally were conceived and how eventually they were written and it's kind of a 50th anniversary celebration of the original show but we also have a talk that we're going to be giving this year um, probably at the conventions on the the history of enterprise collectibles and it's a great it's a, a really fun. Uh, talk and I can't wait to share some of the information that we found, including uh, how some of the toys were used uh, to make some of the episodes. So it's great. <laughs> right on, excellent. Well, discussing Enemy Mine and Dawn is not the only thing we've been doing here around the network. So take a listen to this little clip and find out what else you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Warp 5. Even though we were waiting, even though we lost tons of money, we were just like, we were like, oh, phew. Now we, can, now we can stop and think. Writer strikes are funny things. Sometimes you get season seven of 24, and sometimes you get shades of gray. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Literary treks. And again, that's the great thing about these novels is like you know, it, it can change your perception and look at, at these episodes and these movies in a totally different way. And I just love, you know, it's not there to fix mistakes. But it does. Meta tricks. How do they know for sure that they're they're not the ones who are going to be thrown back and their duplicates end up making it back to Deep Space? Hey, How can they know for sure? That's a very good question. They glossed over that big time in this episode. Yeah, I, I think if I'm Benjamin Sisko, I would want to make sure that's clear. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. I'd like to thank John Tenuto very much for joining me today and uh, just let you guys know that our regular host, Floyd Dorsey, will be back soon. He's just been a little way on a little mission, but uh, I hope you guys didn't mind me taking over the reins for now and uh, and doing this episode. And uh, th- there's one more episode that uh, Floyd will not be here for. The next episode I'm going to be doing with Amy Nelson. Uh, so if you guys want to prepare yourself for that, we're going to be talking about the episode Acquisition for episode 102 of Warp 5. And the reason why we do that is, you know, Floyd and I both have pretty busy schedules. So we record two episodes in one night, and we have been re- releasing every two weeks. Um, and he just ended up being busy on the night that we had to uh, that we had to record. So uh, let's see if I can handle the uh, the new exit of this show here. It's the first time. So, uh, yeah, so check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and, of course, you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. Please leave a rating and review as well. We'd greatly appreciate it. Um, if you like what you hear on our show... You know, give us whatever you like, you know, one star, five star, whatever you want to leave us. It helps. Uh, if you'd like to find Floyd, you can always find him in the Babel Conference. Uh, he's not on Twitter or anything like that, but you can always reach out to us at Trek FM. Uh, but the best place to find Floyd is in the Babel Conference. You can find me here on the network uh, with new episodes of Melodic Treks. I'm going to be taking on a couple of week break here so because uh, it's been a busy Christmas season for me. I mean, we're, we recorded this uh, in January, but uh, I was plowing along right through the Christmas season. 
So now I'm going to take a little break. But you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Metella. I'm also the brand new... They've just called me the Patreon manager here on the network. So if you have any questions on becoming a patron, you know, visit us at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm. And at the $5 a month level, you can get access to Patron Zone, which is where we've got some really cool exclusive content. Uh, you can get some uh, early releases and uh, some other neat stuff in there. So we would appreciate anything you can do to support us. At the $15 a month level, you can uh, join us for our monthly roundtables, which are back on schedule and being released in the Master Feed. Uh, So you can be on your very own podcast. And at the $25 a month level or higher, you can uh, become an associate producer of the show. And I'd like to thank our associate producers. So Floyd's an associate producer here, uh, as well as Mike Morrison, uh, who is also a host of Metatrex here on the network. And uh, Floyd and I have got ourselves a brand new patron. So we'd like to thank very much Tim Cooper for becoming a new patron uh, associate producer here for Warp 5. So welcome to the team, buddy. Thank you very much. We greatly, greatly appreciate your help. And uh, geez, I think that's just about everything. So hopefully I didn't forget too much. And if I did, uh, I did, you'll forgive me, right? Um, Facebook.com slash TrekFM, Twitter at TrekFM. Babel Conferences, B-A-B-E-L. And thanks very much, Boomers, for tuning in. Join us again next time for another episode of Warp 5. Warp 5.